that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Ordonia. And this is Words and Shit. Where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Eddie, I am curious. You have been in the poet game for quite a while. Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. You've been doing this writing thing and this speaking thing, right? I'm curious, when, tell me about the first time you got in front of an audience to recite your poetry. All right. Um, some years ago at Imagine Books, there was an open mic um, and I got invited to read by Jesse Cardona. He was the guy that pulled me out of that poetry closet. And he said, you gotta like, you, you have to read in front of people. Um, so I, I gathered some poems together um, and I couldn't find a printer. So I, <laughs> because I wanted to read them off the paper and I, and I ran the Kinko's on my way to the open mic. Mm, good old fashioned Kinko's. Yeah. And I printed them out there and I headed over. I don't remember how many times I threw up. I don't think I, I <laughs> No, nah, I don't think I threw up, but it was it was kind of nervous. Uh, but you know how it is. You know, after that one poem, you do one poem, and then you're like settled. Mm-hmm. You find are your you, groove. Are you settled after one poem? I I'm settled ten seconds into the first poem. Oh, you're efficient like that. I yeah. Once once I get into it, I I just like all right, we're going. You know, I am nervous, uh, batshit nervous five seconds before the poem starts. But then as soon as the poem starts, we're, it's, it's, we're good to go. Cool as a cucumber. Cool as a motherfucking cucumber. I'll tell you, the first time that I got in front of an audience to do poetry, I was 18. I wanna say I was 18. It was my sophomore year at the University of Texas at Austin. And I had previously met a poet named Christopher Lee Daniels. Uh, who is a, a, an Austin poetry legend. And we became very good friends. And he encouraged me to write. And we wrote a group piece. This was before I even wrote my own piece. We wrote a group piece. A group piece before you wrote an indie piece. Yes. We wrote a group piece. And the Austin Poetry Slam was happening at Egos at the time, which is this bar underneath this apartment complex. <laughs> and of course, I was 18. I was underage. But I don't know. Chris Lee had this thing. He, he just knew how to work things, snuck me in the back door, went up on stage, performed this group piece out of nowhere, got disqualified because it was a group piece <laughs> in a poetry slam. And and that was it. I bit the bug. Oh, you know, that was it. Was yeah, that... I've been itching and jonesing for, for performing poetry ever since. Uh, you get that stage high, once you get that stage high. Mm-hmm. Want to do it again, even mm-hmm. if it's not a stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it's not a stage, even when if it's you're in at a the bookstore, book it's just the floor in front of you, and sometimes a podium, maybe a microphone, and uh, people milling about. Mm-hmm. And you were at a bar. People were definitely milling about. They were milling and mowing and all the things, all the all the all- aimings. But see, it's these spaces that are created that give us these avenues, whether it's a bar or a, or a bookshop, uh, it, they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the organizers behind them, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. 
God bless the organizers. So that's why I am so excited for this conversation that we had with one of, I'm just gonna say, one of Texas's greatest producers and organizers of poetry events. He has created many opportunities for people to read for their first time or for their thousandth time. Uh, and he basically gave us a masterclass on organizing. He did. This, this was a masterclass. This was the workshop that you never thought you knew you needed. <laughs> All right. Tell us about our guest tonight, Andy. All right. Today, we are delighted to have with us Amir Safi, who is from College Station, but based now out of Houston, Texas. The founder of Right About Now, and his work has been featured on A+, Upworthy, The Huffington Post, Whataburger, and many more. Most recently, he won the Poetry International Prize, and I got two things to say. One, this is the best, most shortest bio we've ever had to give here, to and I want to thank him for that. To date. Secondly, every year for my students, I do a lesson on love, and the first po poem that I put up is The Ode to Waterburger by Amir Safi, because that is a love poem par excellence. So we're really happy to have Amir Safi with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Amir Safi. Where are you at, Amir? Yo, 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 what's up? What's happening, internet, virtual San Antonio? Woo! My name is Mir Safi, and I'm happy to be here. How are you doing, my little burly friend? Look at I'm you. I'm good, I'm good. Just stay in quarantine and uh, try and be a good citizen. You know, it seems like both you and my father have the same pact right now, where like he has decided not to trim or cut his beard until the end of quarantine, and it is out to here. Oh, is it? Oh yeah, it's getting. When you a see crazy. those photos, Chevy, we need that. <laughs> we need that boudoir shoot. Uh, the next time you use the words boudoir shoot and my father in the same sentence, I'm coming for you, sir. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Uh, well, it's good to see you. Uh, let's start off the show the way we do every day, uh, every time with the poetry. So, any now are going to duck out and just hand the show over to you. So, please bless us with your words and shit. Awesome, thank you so much. Audience, can we give it up one more time for your hosts, uh, Chibi and Eddie? They're amazing people. Uh, this is my first time here in virtual San Antonio. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm gonna do, my first poem is a short poem. This poem is just to introduce myself. Um, uh, I, I have a few poems. One thing you'll learn about me is I have a few poems about DJ Khaled. Uh, this is one of them. DJ Khaled names his son Assad, and my friend's little cousin Sam goes back to 2001 and picks up the name Osama from the basketball court where he left it. Maybe I'll have the courage to stop abbreviating my name. It's a palate cleanser for acts of violence I did not commit to make my existence more palatable. The problem with new construction is it ain't got enough frontage for a name like mine. So my name moves from the tip of my tongue to the gruff of my throat where it came from. The difference between sugar and garbage is in the letter Goff. When I say I carry my city with me, I mean, my name was every teacher's worst fear come to fruition during the roll call. It's easy to question yourself as a child when they pronounce your name is a question. But my name has always been a roadmap to Esfahan, a city my father swears holds half the beauty of the world, where everyone can either pronounce my name 
or is in fact my cousin. DJ Cal names his son Assad. And this is how a child defeats a dictator, freeing everything once held captive by perception. Thank y'all so much. That's my first poem this evening. This second poem, uh, you know, I know a lot of people right now, this is, uh, these are tough times for people. I know that we have lost a lot. Um, this poem is uh, dedicated and inspired by my friend, Sasha Harper, and um, a lot of poets know her, Sasha Antoinette, the sauce, um, and uh, may she rest in peace. Uh, it's entitled, On Going to a Funeral You Cannot Go To. The sun is nowhere to be found, tucked away behind soft gray clouds, sleeping in on a lazy Saturday morning. The rain pours down heavy enough to solicit the windshield wipers to work. Of course, they are frayed and need to re be replaced. They still do a good enough job though, but not without the rasping. Do you remember MySpace, specifically the top eight feature? where you could rank your favorite people, a privilege to uh, bestow, a digital patch worthy of a letter jacket. Not everyone had a seat at this cafeteria table. I'm sure a well-meaning feature that meant no friction but became a junkyard of broken friendships, praying loudly in any high school hallway or passive aggressive text message. At the funeral, Ryan texts me to let me know his father passed away a day after Sasha. Tia tells me about the poem she wrote and how she hopes the quarantine ends soon so she can share it. Amal just found out, asks what happened, says Sasha was her favorite by far, that she, just, uh, that she was just talking to her only last week about teaching a lesson for her slam poetry students. They only allow 10 people at the funeral. Everyone else has to stay in their cars. Ebony is alone and with the family. An elderly gentleman is standing in a full suit, black straight out of Cuddy's Pursuit of Happiness music video with black bowler and a face mask. They ask Ed to write and read of home. Someone starts singing a church hymn after, which leads to someone else uh, jumping out of their car, tambourine in hand, tambourine on beat. I don't have to know the words to understand the healing. I was feeling it. How someone laying at rest can lead others to movement. How music and poetry have always been a safe place to exhale. Have you picked your top 10? Kirsten and I couldn't even size our wedding list down to 100. There's only one chair under the canopy for the matriarch of the family. I hear grief erupt out of her, not unlike the implosion of the Plaza Hotel in my hometown. I've never seen pain project out of a human like that. <sighs> and not on television, frayed, rasping across the sky, shaking the entire East Tex freeway. Do you know who you would want invited to your funeral? Who would make your top 10 or eight? Will you even attempt to make the list? What happens when you try? Uh, rest in peace, Sasha. That was um, dedicated to you. Uh, I know a lot of people are hurting. I know a lot of people um, have, have lost a lot during this time. I, as someone who uh, writes and, and produces and 
uses this this medium of art is uh, is a form of healing. I definitely encourage everyone to uh, embrace it and do the same. It, it doesn't uh, reverse, but it does help. Uh, this this next poem I wrote is uh, is to is uh, dedicated to uh, another woman of color. Um, it, it's it's entitled "I Love uh, Rupee Car." I love Rupee Car. That she is happening before our eyes, despite the outrage and their cries of mediocrity, their vitriol, a white woman yelling at a cat. Me. I love the Rupee rhymes with poopy. Did you know that it takes 65 Indian rupees to equal one US dollar? And what is that if not a metaphor for value? I cannot tell you how much life it gives me that we have reached a, 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 a moment in time where a brown woman is finally lauded for being what others deem is just okay at something. Even when they hate you, you sell more books, rupee. They have to read your work to hate on you but they're still reading your work, aren't they? They can't handle that your book is a garbage dump that people want in their neighborhoods and aren't you someone else's treasure. Maybe what they just can't handle is that your notoriety came from thoughts and words that they deem not worthy for their own works. And ain't that a metaphor too? Look at you, tearing apart their beloved notions and redefining words such as good, Success, poetry, value, woman, wanted. I love that they hate on you for being unoriginal and sounding the same as those before you. But isn't that what they spend years doing at an MFA program anyway? What they mean is thank you, Rupi for building the readership that they benefit from while hating you for, for taking poetry out of the teeth of the academics. And most of all, thank you for making little brown girls feel like they have a voice in this world. That was, um, thank y'all so much. Y'all are too kind. Y'all are too kind. Yes, I, I would love a drink. Uh, if someone could uh, bring me a Topo Chico with lime, uh, maybe a straw in it, that would be super nice. So yeah, uh, that poem was written because like people hate on Rupi Kaur a lot, but like I read a lot of famous mediocre poets growing up that were uh, lauded for their work and who weren't necessarily uh, reprimand or receive the same grief it seems that Rupi uh, receives. Um, let me think, what do I want to do? I want to do, oh wow, thank you so much for the drink, Chevy. this is awesome. We got Topo Chico here, straw, uh, this is delicious. Hey, make sure to tip your uh, bartenders tonight. Oh, perfect. All right, so um, this next poem, this next poem is called Citizenship is Funny. It's funny to me. Um, my father is asked by an 18 year old kid how he likes it here in America. My father answers, I've lived here for 25 years. How do you like it here in America? And it ain't that serious. A kid in, in elementary school tells me to swim back to where I came from and I ask him if he knows the best route to Iowa. And it ain't that serious. A white American man tells me that we should build a wall to protect this country from dangerous immigrants. And my mother, 
a pharmacist, and an immigrant, saves a white American man from taking a dangerous cocktail of medications that his white American doctor prescribed. And it ain't that. A woman asked my father, he put an American engine in her car. When she turns to anger, my father explains to her that she drives a Hyundai. And it ain't. My brother, Aryan, comes home from school crying, asks my father why he named him after Hitler. And it, and it is made clear to me that my family is not welcomed in America or even the borders of our own history. Uh, so that one's citizenship is funny to me. Uh, if y'all enjoy the set, definitely stick around for the interview. Uh, once again, I'm so happy to be here in virtual San Antonio. Uh, I just wish we had some tacos. That would make it a lot better, but maybe the next feature. Um, so, so this next poem is interesting to me, or it was funny. This is kind of like a thought on like, uh, so when I was growing up, like the, the phrase, oh, that was a nice neighborhood before like the minorities moved there was like not uncommon. And like, um, I never liked being called a minority because I knew it was bad. You know, I never heard it used in a good way, I didn't like it. It's not like I walk around calling people majorities, right? But but what if I did? So uh, this is entitled, I Never Liked Being Called a Minority. The majorities liked wearing Carhartt jackets, buying guns and throwing pasture parties. The majorities liked playing baseball, doing snuff and driving up to the rodeo in their trucks with the new all-terrains windows down singing along with Robert Earl King. The majorities liked being on time, except to the parties in the neighborhoods where they weren't invited. This place used to be real nice. All the homes had big backyards. Everything was affordable and filled with music till the majorities moved in with their townhouses and their noise ordinances and their parking permits. All right, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. I've been on this kick, y'all. I've been on this like speak your truth kick. Uh, something as a producer I've seen that's really amazing is the way people are listening to these uh, spoken word videos right now. And I feel like I want to, all poets who are watching right now, I just want to encourage you to keep continuing the work because you are literally writing the words that people use to uh, have these conversations that, that hopefully impact change in, in all of our communities. Um, uh, th this poem was uh, inspired by an incident at a school in Pasadena, Texas, where um, a teacher said that a six-year-old boy uh, was shouting the word bomb at students. Um, and it, there's a lot of controversy around it because a six-year-old boy um, had Down syndrome and his father said he's never heard him utter a word. So uh, this is... Uh, the videos are fake, but the threat is real. Or a six-year-old Muslim boy with Down syndrome is called a terrorist by his teacher. Or other people's kids get put in timeout. Or we should probably stop watching Western cinema. It is now, I must admit, that we are born guilty until proven guilty. The white privilege is just another phrase for benefit of the doubt. That my son cannot repent for the sins that he did not commit that Allahu Akbar is both a call to prayer and to war, that I have stopped praying since the moth beneath my head became a bullet, 
since I grew tired of asking for forgiveness in a language I do not speak and for the things I did not do in the language that I can. Oh, look how the people of Muhammad have become the sacrificial goat. Now look at them, afraid of a six-year-old. Look at them, how they can be both the victim and the knife. Their hands up in surrender and wrapped around the trigger. At least the biha is a merciful slaughter and we don't pretend the animal was ever human. Thank you all so much. That is uh, my final poem for the intro. Uh, and I believe I will be back for, with, with one more poem uh, after, after the interview. So we're gonna bring your hosts back, Eddie V and Chibi. Thank you. Thunderous roaring applause, thunderous roaring applause. Man, you, can, you can hear that applause all the way in Houston from San Antonio. That's amazing. Let's be clear, though. You're not virtually in, in San Antonio. You're virtually across the world, okay? Because we are everywhere right now. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so I want to I wanna say I love that you uh, read the, the rupee piece because uh, I remember when you first published that and I thought it was golden. Um, and I think it's so apt as a way to start this conversation because... Uh, right about now, uh, which you started, has grown into more than just a, a poetry venue. It, it's a social media platform. And I think that's one of the things that elevated Rupi's poems was her use of social media. So I'd love to get your thoughts on poetry and social media. Oh, my God. Uh, how, <laughs> much, how much time do we have, Chibi? I mean, let's go. <laughs> okay. Um, so I want everyone to have this perspective and, and this is a short form y'all. I could talk about this for days and we've I have this for days. Yeah, we've <laughs> talked about for days. No one looks at a movie and says the movie should stay on the script. What are they doing? What do you mean they're performing it? What do you mean they're adding theatrics to it? What do you mean CGI? No one looks at a movie and says it should stay on the page. But that has always been the mentality toward poetry. And most people I know who grew up in it with me have heard that phrase before. It should be read, not performed. And so I think that I think that art is is for the people. So mm -hmm. that means art has to exist where the people exist. And your job as an artist is to embrace form. And form isn't just how it looks in the page. Form is also social media. So embrace form and, and platforms where people live to present this work to make it more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. That should always be uh, our pursuit. So social media is a wonderful, incredible uh, extension of that. And for any poets who take time out of their day um, to, to watch this, I wanna actually give you a pro tip right now. Get on TikTok, get on TikTok, produce on TikTok. It's where Gen Z is. Gen Z has the most feelings. Get on TikTok. I have multiple social media platforms. My second biggest one is on TikTok. I've been on TikTok for two months. I've been on all the other ones for six years. So mm -hmm. what it worked, how social media works is, and I'll talk to poets and y'all tell me, oh man, but between all my other social media, I don't have time for this, Samir. And dude, I definitely feel y'all. But 
TikTok <laughs> grows at such a massive rate that it will funnel into your other social media platforms that will grow faster. Uh, one poet I want to shout out who is embraced TikTok as a medium is uh, Mechamorphosis, and mm -hmm. she already has 60,000 followers. So, like, while a lot of us are here on like Instagram or Facebook, and we're at still like a couple thousand, right? She is, she is getting her work out there to incredible amounts of people. And, you know, TikTok is really cool, especially for someone like you, Chibi, because you can, like, act and do makeup and do poetry. So <laughs> it really lends itself well to someone like you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's al algorithmic lead generation and actually putting you in front of new audiences is, is faster and higher than everyone else. I know they're being demonized right now. Uh, but everyone who demonizes them and who is watching this on Facebook, you may want to self-reflect uh, mm -hmm. because they do the same things. They're just in China. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that, about uh, accessibility, you know, because I think that's the biggest thing with with poetry, which is what um, I think Slam introduced to a lot of communities, uh, a lot of, to use the phrase minorities, was that like, our voices have a platform, right? And social media has kind of given that platform to minorities, to people that are not in, you know, books and anthologies and shit like that, you know, like, so how has the accessibility of social media changed the business of poetry? It's interesting, man. I think, I think honestly, technology and the internet in general have all transformed uh, social media because, and, and poetry in a sense, to where like, or the business of poetry, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'll explain it like this. Um, all right, so let's say I want to sell a Right About Now poetry shirt, okay? 10 years ago, I had to find a local screen printer. They would probably book me a rate between 550 to 750 a shirt if I bought 200 of them. Mm. I'll buy 200 of them. I sell 80, boom, like that. Then I'll sell over the rest of the year, I'll probably sell another 80, and then maybe intermittently, maybe 10 here, 10 there. And then I'm left with 25 shirts, all in the same exact size that nobody wants. <laughs> right so like so that's one area where we may have been antiquated now there are these things called drop shippers where they charge a higher premium so maybe instead of paying 550 or 750 a shirt you know they're going to charge you 1250 a shirt right but you're still selling them for 20 bucks so what happens is you link up with a drop shipper they buy a shirt from your online site the drop shipper prints it on demand and will package it and send it for you to whoever ordered it mm -hmm. you know that's a way of just like the business being revolutionized potentially by technology or like what does everyone want on instagram they want ten thousand followers why do they want 10,000 followers? Because now you can put links in your stories and, and, and uh, sell more merch or plug articles or plug something else. And then just awareness, you know. Uh, so number one part of like selling anything is just people being aware of you. You know, like for us, we get a million views a week. That's a lot of awareness. I don't know if everyone always like connects that directly to like what it is, you mm -hmm. know, um, but but those are a lot of views, but I don't think uh, social media is a make or break of uh, value as far as like the business of poetry goes. Mm -hmm. So like 
Chibi, I think like right about now, we would have audiences the exact same size if I had no social media presence mm-hmm. or a very limited one. Because like forever, dude, like um, the way we built this stuff has always been very underground. Like people would be like, Mira, why don't you advertise? And I'd say, no, you got to know about this shit. You can't just like, just like see it on the internet and show up. That's bullshit. You got to yeah. have some vetting process in these communities to be able to know about this. But that, that is also an accessibility barrier. So I don't think it actually helps the numbers in the show. What I really think helps the show is just consistency and the vibe. Like, are you showing up? Do the poets think you care about them? Does the audience think you care about them? Are you about the work? And do you put like consistency in? Meaning, are you showing up all the time? You know, and, and I think that's really more of the, the difference maker than maybe social media. But definitely take every tool in your kit. There's no reason not to use them. Yeah. Do you think that that um, starting right about now and then the, the how big it's gotten as far as like its online platforms and whatnot, does that make you um, a de facto gatekeeper? Oh, without a doubt. You know what's so funny, man? I got into this because I was like, fuck the gatekeepers. Fuck them. I couldn't get my shit put on anything. I couldn't, cause not only am I like a, I don't know, minority, right? And I'm, I'm minority with no community, you know? Like I'm literally like an island. So like, it makes sense to me. Why would a literary journal publish my work? Who's the readership? It, it doesn't, it, it's like a, it's a whole, it's a whole bigger problem. It's, it's way more complex than I think narrowing it down. So I realized early on, I have to build my own fucking platform if I ever want to see my stuff represented mm-hmm. anywhere. And then, you know, what's interesting about slam is like people of color didn't always do very good in slam. You know, there, that was a big issue for a long time, especially women of color. I, I remember hearing about that all the time, right? So even slam, which was made to be more accessible, more inclusive, right? Was having a lot of people really question if that was the case. So when I got, when I started building this platform, I was just like, it was out of necessity for me to be heard. But then the entire American South, uh, a lot of it, we didn't really have that kind of virtual Mm -hmm. video representation and and being able to share our work. And so, so we just started kind of doing it. and, and, And that's one of the reasons why it's really important to have a diverse community of not just writers. Brady, Brady Ware, don't get me wrong, dude can do everything, you know, but is his primary driver in life like Poetry Slam? No, he's a videographer. So when you have a videographer in your community, like you get looked out for that way. So it's really important to like build these networks. You know, you're using the word uh, accessibility with poetry uh, in a very positive way. Do you think that that's changed in some way? Because like some, you know, when you hear your poetry is accessible, like, especially like to, I guess maybe uh, the written uh, the written work, you know, a book book poetry, that's always kind of used in a in a bad way. Or do you yeah, think? I don't. Yeah, man, I'm all here for decolonizing what has been and and, and freeing freeing the chains of like this colonized English that we've been embracing, especially in the art form of poetry. I don't think accessibility is a bad thing. Just like I don't think uh, metal, heavy metal is a bad thing. 
Will I go to a concert? Yeah. Will I listen to it 24 seven? It's not for me. Do I believe it has value and serves the community? Absolutely. So I think that that can be said, the, the same can be said about different forms of poetry. And I just want to acknowledge uh, the gatekeeper question. So I think I am a gatekeeper, Eddie. And, uh, and I'll tell you what my gate is. My gate is accessibility. So when being able to actually get to one, right? Because we have to be able to film you. And then my, my other gate is uh, resources, which is something that's a gate for all of us, every single one of us. Why don't we reach more people? Why don't we have more events? Why aren't there more publications? Resources. Resources is a gate in itself. But I'll tell you this, something I saw that happened with really button poetry, I think. So basically, um, as, as someone who produces this content, there are bigger media platforms that may be more focused. So like in everyday feminism or a HuffPost Latino Voices or a We Are Me Too, right? So the way we would grow in the past on social media, right? Um, a lot of that was motivated by what these bigger platforms shared. So when you say, see people say, oh, slam poetry can only be about these like 10, 10 topics is because that's what these influencers were picking up. Mm -hmm. So like when a poem like Whataburger does well in a slam, it, people can't believe that you can write about that, right? And then they can't believe they'll do well in a slam because that's our conditioning, because our conditioning is toward avenues where we get where we get heard. I'm not gonna lie, you know when I get booked the most? Ramadan, you know, or some kind of multicultural mm -hmm. event. Right? I'm sure y'all may have the same. I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm sure there's some events you have more, right? That's so, so yeah. basically, like, that's kind of yeah, September 15th. <laughs> right. Five so, months. like, one thing I do try to do, though, is if you go in our YouTube, you will see poems where you're like, oh my God, it's one of the greatest works I think I've seen in this form. Or you'll say, like, why did they post that? And we really do try, like, if you show up and we film you, we do try to post you. Sometimes there's issues that y'all may not know about. Maybe it's technical. Once again, maybe it's resources, like we couldn't get to it. Maybe there's like just a really big event that had like next level, you know, stuff and like gets moved up in the queue. And so like, there's so many different factors to getting posted and shared, but I never try to say, oh, this is worthy, this isn't worthy. That's not really what I'm about. And then like, if you see videos get more visibility, that's a lot of times because they've earned it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They've been on our platform and now they've got picked up by A, B, C, D. And it's like, yeah, we want to put you out there because people are saying, this is what we want to hear. This is what we want to listen to. Yeah, there's a lot in that that I want to kind of unpack, but like specifically there was like, you know, the mention of like the South, right? Because I feel like for the longest time, the South was getting shitted on by the North, you know, as like a style that was not valid in the poetry community. You know, like I even remember uh, PSI, like almost protesting, like having a nationals in the South because the Northern poets knew they're not going to do well here because there's a different style. So there's this idea of creating venues out of necessity, right? You you did that in um, in College Station with Mike Check uh, in Texas Grand Slam. I did that in Laredo with Border Slam. When we were in Houston, like you came to me and we had both moved to Houston like just recently and been like, you, you know, there isn't a space for this diverse community that we want to create. So 
you've definitely been a, a creator of new spaces and new communities. I'm curious, what is something that you would, that you wish you, you knew then that you now know now that you would tell yourself in terms of creating these new spaces that have gone on to be, you know, wildly successful, you know? Yeah, um, man, it, it's interesting. I think, uh, what, what could I tell myself then that I know now? Um, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all had that thought. You know, anyone that's ever like started something out of nothing has somewhere along the line been like, why the fuck did I do this? You know? Yeah, um, I, I think when, one of the biggest things is value over numbers value over numbers, value over numbers. If you're focused on the numbers, you're not gonna be putting energy into the value and you're never gonna get the numbers. If you put energy into the value, those few people who show up for you, you give them a show and you're gonna see your event grow. Mm -hmm. So okay. I, I think that's, that's honestly probably the number one thing I could tell any organizer because you know how this art form is Chibi, we do a lot of one-offs you know, too. So another thing I would say is sustainability. So we do a lot of one-off events in our art form and we don't ever think about the energy I'm putting in. What is it building, if anything? Is it like this one and done experience, you know? And, and something else I think I would say is don't be afraid to innovate. We do slam poetry the exact same way we've always done it to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Why are we not like, for example, let's embrace technology. Let's have a slam where the winner is decided by text to vote. Mm -hmm. And then you can have the audience sway the audience, you know, and, and it's more representative and it's not a few people. I'm talking like American Idol style, like you text a number and that person, if they get the most, they win, yeah. you know, or just something like, let's play around with form. I think the virtual world, I've been really excited to see how poets have embraced it, you know, for a long time, we're the only scene doing a virtual stream of their show, you know, and, and a weekly, weekly virtual stream. And now they're Everywhere. Everywhere. This is amazing. Let's embrace it. They're just like I was in Bryan, Texas, and you were in Laredo. There are people all around this world who are looking for opportunities to mm -hmm. get on a mic and be heard because we take this work for granted yeah. that we have access to it and we'll always be able to do it. And there's an audience there who who is uh, both embracing and unafraid to be there, you know, and, and express themselves freely. We really take that for granted, but this is a way that we can make all of our communities more accessible to people. Yeah. I mean, I, th I know we can speak to it here at, at Write Art Out, and I know you can speak to it at uh, Right About Now, where it's like, we're now hosting these virtual open mics and we're getting people from all over the world that are, you know, jumping on to be part of something where like they're sharing a space with 20 people in the digital era, right? But it's, it's, it's a space that's being created, again, out of necessity, mm -hmm. right? Um, and because of community, you know, I think that's one of the things that we can definitely, that you can definitely speak on, you know, as an organizer, you know, like people can tie right about now to Amir Safi all they want. But I know you'll be the first to say that like right about now would not be what it is if it wasn't for the community behind it. So like, I don't know, for community organizers out there, like what, 
what advice do you have for someone that's trying to start a new scene and trying to get people on board with like, come on guys, it's not just me. Sure. I I get this question a lot. People are like, Amir, people don't come to our venue. They don't stay. like, what do I do to get the poets out here? And, uh, why do you want to be a part of any community? You know, if, for example, I think people come to write about now because it's like, I want to be a poet. I want to be successful at this, this level. And you look over here and, and Chibi is doing a tour in Florida. You look over here, Ebony is the most booked artist ever, right? Uh, you look, you look over here, Io's getting accepted to uh, Michigan's MFA program and creative writing. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you look over here, Billy graduated from LSU's MFA program. You know, you look at this year within the past uh, year. You know, we had five poets get uh, become finalists at. Um, it, it whelps and, and I whips total, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when you are in here and you're like, I want to be successful at this art, what are people doing? Like, I think, and I'm not claiming credit for any of these people or their accomplishments. I want to make that very clear. They're all super talented. But when you get an incubator of this kind of talent and you're saying, hey, like, will you check out this poem I wrote? And they're like, why don't you make this edit? Right now you're working at kind of like a high level with these higher level, high, high, like very successful people in this art. Mm -hmm. And then another thing is, is how you embrace your new members is super important. So like when, when I was in the scene, they withhold, they wouldn't tell you shit. Okay. (laughs) They wouldn't tell you anything. You, Uh you had to figure it out. It, It was insulting to ask. It was insulting to ask because you didn't pay your dues and learn it like them. Or we say, oh, these are the only booking opportunities we can get. So we keep those away from each other, right? Or the mechanisms of how to get that. But I have a completely different philosophy. My philosophy is anyone who wants to learn, contribute, and do better, I'm open to sharing with you everything I know. Mm -hmm. And... And all I ask is that you use it or pass it to someone else when you have the opportunity to teach them something. So we already learned the hard way. There ain't no reason for people in your community to learn the hard way. And, and, and if you give people more access, you actually get more opportunities. So we think the market for poetry is like, you know, that's it. We think it's minuscule, right? But, but what but did you just say? Short. What did you just say? People who have never would have been here from all around the world are showing up and, and they're joining our mics, right? So, so when we embrace like that, with John, who was John Green caused the great perhaps, you know, we will see ourselves becoming more successful, but we have to be invested in the, prof- the professional development of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ourselves and like if you look at any other business they're innovating their business constantly they're um they're sharing this kind of information they're looking to learn more knowledge not withhold knowledge from each other to mm-hmm. be successful so let's build our market let's build our audience let's build our opportunities we can do that by improving the craft together your incubator is in houston and um Talk about that. Like, what what is it about that particular scene? Do you think? I mean, is it is it just your scene, or is there something about the group of people that came together in Houston that kind of like made your incubator so good? 
Man, that's a good question. I don't I don't know the answer to that, man. <laughs> I I essentially had three first year women slammers place as finalists at Wowps. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <clears throat> Shibi, you remember your first year? Mm. Eddie, you remember your first year? Were we getting <laughs> finalists anywhere? No, fuck no. Yeah. So I don't know. I, honestly, this is what I think it is. Your your talent is based on your community. Mm-hmm. Houston is 6.5 million people. And, and uh, people move here to live here, right? So when they live here, they need stuff to do here. So this is like an activity people choose to participate in or their art form of choice. So you have a bigger selection. Meanwhile, and Brian, like College Station, Texas, that was like the hardest place ever to build a community because it's a college town. People are there for four years, five years, but they don't find out about you till they're a junior. And then by the time you get them in, they learn something, you got to get a whole new wave of people. So Houston, and then uh, Houston, there's a level of maturity too. What I've seen is like, we get adults, you know, we're not getting kids in college all the time. And, and so like, I really like the blend and the ages, you know, because we have like super elderly people come read all the way to like Maya, who's like five years old, you know, and like that, that age range, I think adds a lot to it. And, and yeah, I really think it's just having a big ass city. Uh, with a lot of people who live in it. And then the burbs around Houston, they ain't got shit to do. They don't have anything to do. Our audience isn't even like, you would think it would be like people in Memphis or one of the wards. It's like, where did you come from? Katy? Yeah, uh, Galveston. Uh, Galveston <laughs> yeah. and in yeah. Texas City. So we get a lot of people in the burbs. Yeah. I mean, there is, Io just said it uh, quite beautifully, you know, ta- quoting you, talent is based on your community. It's real. It's iron sharpens iron, you know. And right about now has gotten to that level to where like there is a clout to it, right? People are drawn to it because you've got big names like Ebony Stewart, like RJ Wright, like yourself, you know, like that populate these spaces, but not everybody has that. You, you didn't have that in Bryan College Station. I didn't have that in Laredo, you know, like how do you get people to jump on board when you don't have the reputation, you know? And I'm thinking of people that are trying to start something in a small town like you and I right. came from that right. just want a, a, a platform for the people in their community that don't have yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. And, and Brian College Station, Mike Check, my very first event hosting was two poets and six people total in the room, if you count the bartender. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you were there at Avant Garden, man. We couldn't even fill seats upstairs. Yeah, 12 you know? people maybe. <laughs> and, and now we can't even have a show outside without getting the cops caught on. Sorry, Mariana, if you're watching. Uh, but, uh, oops. Uh, but, but like, this is basically what it's about, man. And I think how these scenes grow it is I slammed in every fucking slam you know, every single one. And I was going to give it a hundred percent when I first started, no one was going to beat me. Uh, and then, uh, and, and Brian, I got Buck who is super talented and me and Bill, and I was getting them to all slam every single time. And Buck beat us every single week. Uh, he slammed, but that would create some kind of show. So what's your value proposition, right? And I would really find out what's your, value proposition what you work with a lot of scenes will really depend on the ogs 
you know? Mm-hmm. And that is like the worst way to build your scene. Of course, you always show like respect and and always like open to working with them. But a lot of people try to start and when the OGs don't embrace them, they don't they don't keep going. You gotta be you got to say, okay, this is what I got to work with. Let's go. Let's read. Mm-hmm. Let's write poems. What are we doing? Let's become that next level talent. Let's become that next level show. Let's become the, the scene other people talk about. Oh, this scene has been to Nats this many times and everyone talks about them and loves them. Mm-hmm. All right. How are we going to do that? You know, mm-hmm. how are we investing in our, our community, you know, yeah. to be able to, get those opportunities. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to double down on what you said about community, because I know that was one of the strategies that I did with starting Laredo Border Slam was like, all right, we've got three poets in this entire city that I know of. So I'm reaching out to Good Ghost Bill. I'm reaching out to Kevin Burke. I'm reaching out to the Lacey Group. I'm reaching yep. out to everybody that I know. I'm reaching out to Rooster. Like all my friends from other cities, like come feature, please. I'll fucking do something for you, but please come help me you know, expand what is part of this city. And it wouldn't be possible without the communities that have been created across, you know, I think Texas is a very tight knit poetry community, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's, that's it, man. Leverage your social capital and get people coming out. But then what you did was our next step of, what's the taco place y'all always went to? Taco Palenque, duh. Yeah, Taco Palenque. <laughs> Every feature I talk to, Taco Palenque, Taco Palenque. G. Yamazawa loves Taco Palenque. Laredo <laughs> is love. Laredo took care of me. Laredo show. People remember how they feel. So mm-hmm. if you have those kind of vibes in your community, for example, like his saying, I understand it has its place. That's not for me because, because his saying is a negative vibe. And I think you need like positive advice to build a scene and keep it growing. And you can have accountability with the person in ways that are effective and maybe help build them up, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe if they're redeemable. Well, I've also learned is problematic people kind of see themselves out eventually, you know? It's all about if you build the vibe, you gotta build the vibe. Yeah. You know, I was, I was my question earlier, um, did you set out to make a, uh, a slam community or an open mic community? And was there a difference in your goal setting uh, about either one? Honestly, Eddie, I didn't even want to be pigeonholed by poetry. If you look at what we're licensed as, it's right about now Media LLC. I didn't want to be pigeonholed by slam or a poetry open mic. I wanted to really embrace writing as a form. Uh, Poetry and slam are what's most natural to us. I, I think, I think every community should have both an open mic and a slam. I know people feel certain ways about that. There's uh, a few reasons why I feel that way. Houston doesn't give a fuck about slam, man. I've been trying to, I've been trying to convince Houstonians that slam is the shit for six years, and I think they were just now starting to buy it, and then Corona happened. My open <laughs> mics, my open mics are double the size of my slams, easy. And there's several reasons for this. The slams, that's your OGs. Your OGs want to slam. They want to go in there and they, they want to compete and, and, and they want to share their work, right? When we have an open mic, I got 30 poets. Mm-hmm. Maybe 10 of them are OGs, 20 of them are new. The 20 new people, they each brought three friends. Their three friends stand in the audience filming their friends, super interactive in it. 
you know, or they grow, go with a group of three friends and all three of them read, right? So like the open mic, I can get 30 people on it. Each of them brings three people. I have 90 person show. The slam, I can have max 14 people, sometimes 16 if I feel if I, I feel like we have like a lot of people want to get on. Uh, 15 of those, or 13 of those 15 are, are OGs. Everyone's seen the OGs perform poems uh, to the nth degree. So they don't want to ask their friends because their friends already come. OGs want to invite their friends where they're being showcased. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's the level they're at. So you actually like slam hurts the business model in a sense because you're not, you're just not as accessible you know um in it so it's just something just something to think about but yeah i want to be open and eddie we do themed mics we do theme slams we do haiku uh tournaments we've done a compliment death match i want to embrace what are fun ways to write and 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 channel this creativity and and ways that we can create high value shows and and we did a we did like a halloween show and sometimes it backfires you know but sometimes it's good like we do the erotic poetry slams and people really like that a lot of times that backfires uh you know (laughs) yeah i mean what's interesting is that you use the irony there you use the you said that the slam doesn't make you as accessible and yet earlier we were saying how slam was all about accessibility so something something along i mean something in the last 25 30 years has kind of changed then i mean i think i'm going to chime in here and say that i think it has to do a lot with your audience because like in laredo we had the opposite when we were having open mics nobody wanted to come but once we started having slams people were like wait I want to try and beat Chibi. I want to, you know, like win first place. Like, and it just, it was that idea of like, keep trying to be better every week, you know? And that's what got people to come out over and over again, you know? Uh, Yeah, man. And an extension of that is, uh, I like to think of open mics as my funnel into the slam. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think this may be different from a lot of people. I don't think anyone's first reading should be scored, period. Mm -hmm. It's hard enough. It's hard. Dude, I cannot cheat. Could you imagine? I don't know. Maybe you did. Could you imagine your first time Ram being an APS against all those people? It was. I mean? It yeah. was. And I got my ass kicked. <laughs> and Andy Buck just wiped the floor with me. <laughs> and, and you're a resilient individual because for a lot of people, that would be it. You mm. know, they would be out. It wouldn't work. Their feelings would be hurt. It would yeah. be over. Whereas an open mic is like... You know, you did so good. Come back. You had the courage. You got up there. Yeah. Where Slam was, it's like a lot of times like, man, you fucking suck. Why are you even up there, right? Yeah. That's the mentality. No one says that. That's how a poet feels. <laughs> That's how some people in the audience go. No one says it. Yeah. But, um, but so so I like, I think both are really good. Mm-hmm. And then also, I'm hesitant of Slam creating hyper-competitive communities mm-hmm. that lose sight of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So I think I think like you need a lot of balance in your scene. It's important, mm-hmm. and the change up is nice. Yeah, you know. Now, and, when, you and, say, when you say scene, um, what do you include in scene? In the scene, community, venue, show, social media—it's all the scene. Mm-hmm. But like, does that it doesn't extend to other? Uh, maybe there are other open mics in Houston. Like, is it a, is it a right about now scene or is it a Houston scene? 
So there is a Houston scene. Right about now is part of the Houston scene. The Houston scene is always welcome at right about now. Right about now is definitely not the Houston scene, nor do we want it to be. Mm-hmm. We want to embrace a city that has, like, for example, I think the best poetry in Austin, some people might get upset with me, was 2011 to 2013. And that's when like Neo was really kicking and APS was really kicking. And these writers would go from scene to scene and perform. Mm -hmm. And these scenes could go plug their communities at each other's show. It's like, you got Nike, you have Adidas. You need a competitor that's not a competitor, but also doing the same thing to grow because all it's doing is it's, it's increasing your marketability for your art form. So more scenes are actually a good thing. And when you have 6.5 million people in the greater Houston area, what are you fighting over, right? Like who is trying to say, well, this is my niche, this is your niche. I kind of think of it as like an open platform. We exist in this scene. We are part of this scene. We're not trying to brand this scene as us at all. There there have been scenes that come before us who have done great things. There have been scenes that come after us. There, There used to be in Houston, Eddie, you can see up to seven different poetry shows in a night. And the biggest poetry in Houston is not us. That is a mistake. I think Seven has bigger shows than us. Uh, he does a poetry lounge at the Alley Cat back when Outside was open. And then the biggest thing in Houston, Black Christian spoken word. I'm talking double-decker churches filled to the pews. I'm talking I'm talking 900-person venue uh, with $30 tickets at Houston Baptist College University, sold the fuck out. We are nowhere near even the biggest thing that could exist in Houston, right? But we all get funneled into our little, like, yeah. areas. Yeah. There's, well, a, think- there, there's a question in the, in the in the comments that I want to – it's going to kind of pivot towards away from maybe from the whole business side. So is that – we're cool going there. I don't know. We're what, I don't know hold, 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 because I want to make a comment right. on that. I okay, just want to, I want to double down on what you were saying, where it is about the, the diversity of, of where people can go, you know, and I think the era that you were talking about with, with Austin was when like Neo Soul was like mostly an open mic and wouldn't have the one-off slam and APS was like the constant slam. And I just, I have to shout out what San Antonio has done with the Blah Poetry Spot and Puro, where right. it is like, Blah is the introductory. Come to the open mic, you know, get to know the community, get to know the people. And then when you're ready, you know, like move on to Puro because you start at Puro, like it's, it's, it's hard, you know, like it's 11 o'clock at night in a bar where half the people don't give a shit about what you're saying, you know, and you have to win them over. So you have to start somewhere. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that San Antonio has done is create this kind of like funnel where it's like, we give you a safe place to start. And then we start to build you up and then you can go into the competitive mode and into the heckle dome and see what happens. I would, you know, actually, I would, you know, I've actually funneled people to sun poets first. Oh, there you go. You know, you know there's, you know, it's, like, it's that idea it, that there's a lot, well, right? Cause I, I like, I like the sun poets atmosphere and it's not in a bar. It's at a coffee shop, you yeah. know, and it's got a very different vibe for somebody who's just starting out, you know, um, because, Sometimes, you know, when you're at the bar, people also have another, a certain uh, expectation and they might be making the comments and they might not be as forgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I, I mean, I, I love about um, when I say, when we say the word scene, that it's actually a, a much bigger, encompasses a much bigger uh, community. 
yeah. than than just a, a slam or one open mic or one slam, whatever. It's I, I like what you you all have been saying that it's it's definitely that. Yeah, Ryan and, and Eddie, I would Eddie, I would love to work with all the poetry slam venues and poetry venues in our respective cities and set up tours for poets. And like I, you think, did that I once. Think, you did I, that once where it was like the I Los tried. Angeles, Texas. Like you I can did, get all yeah. of them in two weeks and I've been looking but for But I'm that. talking like a year out, you know, we're all booking features and, and doing it. But a lot of that depends on like when the requests are yeah. and what the feature schedules are. But I think in an ideal world, we all, all our scenes and venues get up and we create a national tour, uh, um, a national tour schedule. Mm-hmm. And the issue with that is we're always having things open and closed all the time, right? So, or at least like regional tours, like here's the Southeast, Northeast, yeah. Midwest, right? And create, start creating tour schedules with all the scenes in, in the country that would be open to something like that. And that way we put our own people to work. And then we take a lot of the stress and thinking out for our organizers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this also helps everyone's funds. Yeah. You know, now, right. I, I, I famously do. I, I don't solicit a lot of features cause I know I can't give you money to come from a different state and come perform to my show. It doesn't make sense for you. It doesn't make sense for me. The, you know, so people just kind of ask me when they're in the area, well, we could take that guesswork out and just go ahead and set this up. Right. But that's kind of what's that with, what is, what's the issue with that? That's another resources uh, limitation that mm-hmm. is expansive resources to put, put that together that's a lot of hours when the outside so, opens again so somebody's right. asking and it's, uh, it's a person we all know uh so i think he probably knows part of this answer but it has to do with you and your degree do you think that you're, you're still using your degree basically am i still uh, using my degree now <laughs> uh, i got a I, I'm, I got a degree in biology uh, <laughs> And I'm a human, so I think that counts, right? So <laughs> well, how does that degree influence your poetry? Um, so I will tell you. He has that one biology erotic poem. I have an erotic <laughs> anatomy poem that was inspired by one of my so classes. five years of college for one poem. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, so so one, of the, one of the skills I have and what I used to do for a living is I was a grant writer for mm-hmm. 10 years. And uh, the reason I was able to get like my really paid job that wasn't just for myself was for a biochemistry lab at ANN. So uh, I got into grant writing through poetry, but I was able to make it a career through science. And the reason I was able to get that job was my biology degree. Uh, so anytime I, I write any kind of grant, I, I give uh, credit to that, to where I got my start. And then uh, up until this year, I worked uh, at hospitals and I would write uh, research grants. And I had to interpret the science, uh, complex science of researchers and PhDs, uh, to be understood by someone uh, who has no knowledge. To be of accessible, science. in other words, uh-huh. right? More accessible <laughs> language. Uh, so I did use it. I'm sure I'll figure out more ways to use it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I would return it and take the money at this point. But <laughs> the corollary to that question is, you know, the, the, how. Um, how does that help? How that helps connect to people that don't typically believe that they can be a poet. In other words, like people who say, "Well, I can't be a poet because I don't have an English degree." What do you say to that? Does Drake have a music degree? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> do people like you know? Does Cher have a degree to 
to have a successful career. I, I, I think that's part of the colonized thinking of like, oh, I have to be this or that to not not be able to to do it. Like, uh, personally, I feel it, like if you're an MD or something, like, get, don't be good at poetry. Leave me something. Like, you have a career. You have your success. Like, let 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 us do the poetry. Uh, but other than that, um, I, I don't I don't think there's anything that stops anyone from. Uh, expressing themselves and writing. I forgot what it, it was a podcast somewhere that I was listening to where it was talking about like, what do you mean you're not a poet? What do you mean you're not a writer? If when you if when you get up in the morning, if as you're going through your day, the one thing that you feel like you have to do is write, then you're a fucking writer. Like it doesn't matter what you got your degree in or what uh, what you know what's paying most of the bills or whatever. You know, dude, what did they say in Texas? She is hot as hell. What the <laughs> fuck is that? You know what I mean? Like it's like you know we use we use these devices all the time and we don't even realize it. Uh, yeah, but every everyone's using it. You know. L- let me jump back to the grant writing subject. You know, because the money is out there. And I'm looking for it, but the money is out there, you know? So like for people that are trying to get grants to 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 fund their arts projects, to fund their new open mics, to fund their nonprofits, you know, like what what advice can you give to someone that's like- Oh man, yeah. Uh, you have 10 years experience in the process, be it for medical, right. but still, you know, like same skills, right? And, and I started out winning a $5,000 grant for Texas Grand Slam. So uh, from Pepsi, from the Pepsi Refresh project. So that was my, my first one. <laughs> uh, you know, um, the, the biggest thing is what do you, uh, you know, honestly, man, I think a lot of it's whiteboarding, Chibi. What do you want to do that you want to grant for? Why do you need it? Who does it help? Uh, why should the city support it? You know, if you can answer those questions, that's a strong application. So now you have to find who your funders are, right? So if I were someone like you, I would make a one pager ahead of time and say, this is everything that I want to grant for. Uh, And then you go and you just, I like to use submittable. If you're a poet, Mm -hmm. you can set up a free account with them and they list residencies, grant opportunities, poetry submissions and other genre shit too. Uh, get on submittable. If you're looking at grants, say a lot of times they have grants. Uh, a lot of grants are based on where you live. So there's grants the city gives. Here's something everyone should understand about grants if you don't know it. A lot of city grants are funded by something called hot funds. Hot mm. funds are an excess tax on uh on hotels that you have to pay when you stay in a city. Ideally, what happens is the city takes those funds and they reinvest them in infrastructure uh, that brings more tourism to the city. So they get more of those funds so they can give it up. So your your artistic grant is being funded with the capitalism in mind and tourism in mind. So if you can see kind of how these grants are funded by these funders, you can determine the wording in your proposal to make it more successful. So what we did with Texas Grand Slam was that grant, uh, we also got a grant from the city uh, the first year. Mm-hmm. And we told the city, so if you notice, when you go to Texas Grand Slam, you would get a free hotel room. So, and our audiences were typically about 500 ticketed and our poets were 42 poets in the competition. Every poet had a, had a guaranteed place to stay in a hotel. 
with their entry. So we could go to the city and we could say, well, at least 10% of our se- of our of our people in our event are staying at hotels. Yeah. So we made the event structured in a way that would help us get the grant funding. You know, it was very strategic development. And then another thing, this is a relationships game. This is a relationships game. The more people you know who support, if you foster that network, you're going to have access to more grant opportunities. And the last thing, read everything. Read everything. (laughs) Read everything before you start on it because you may fill out the whole application and you may say, oh, it's only for women or it's only for nonprofits with 501c3 status. Mm -hmm. And you just spent all this time and energy on something that you are not eligible for funding for. Uh, so that would be my uh, recommendation for getting it. Also, Google is a hell of a source. Um, and, and just just do your research, find it. And, and don't be afraid. Apply. Apply. I get rejected. Expect to get rejected. A I, lot. I get rejected <laughs> a lot. Uh, put, and, and share those experiences because that's going to encourage other people. And it's going to encourage like maybe the granting institutions to do a better job. Yeah. Uh, so, so just... Just do it. Do your fucking research is what I'm hearing. Do your fucking research. That's right. Well, Amir, I got to say, somebody mentioned in the comments earlier, like you, you basically, we spent the past hour listening to a masterclass uh, on community (laughs) organizing, producing uh, and, and building up uh, shows. So thank you for everything that you have shared with us. Uh, I know in the conversations that you and I have had, like none of this is anything new. We've had these conversations multiple times, but it's, it's, it's worth sharing and it's worth repeating because the more that we can share to other people, the more other people can start to bring up newer communities and we can continue to spread. Cause that's one of the things that I feel like uh, we, the poetry community has done is it's kind of undercut itself by not helping each other grow, you know, by, by helping somebody else, you're not taking away from yours, you know? And I think you've been a fantastic example of how that can be prosperous. Also, I don't want people to just replicate what the fuck I did. That's stupid. Go no. like, don't spend all your time learning shit already learned. That's not worth your time to learn, right? Here's the, here's the stuff that like, if you want to funnel that energy and build something, take it to a place like uh, the organizers before you couldn't do. We should be empowering the next people to take these steps and be more successful than us. That is like, that is the true, like, I think, uh, indicator of success in, in a healthy, thriving community is when people are more successful than you. Don't get jealous or or, or yeah. greedy or something, you know. Or get your own ego and feelings out of the way. And what you're going to see is it's actually going to create more opportunity for you. Is that you know? I, I don't know how much time we have left, but I wanted to ask you earlier uh, about Rupi Kaur, um, and. It's something you just said right now. Do you think that some of the backlash at her was poetic jealousy or pettiness? I think. From poets, I mean. Because I, the, the I rest think, of the world loved her. Yeah, but the poetry community right? wasn't so, so well on that. Rupi Carr has 4 million IG followers. I, I don't know if the rest of us combined. <laughs> have 4 million IG followers. And and the way I look at it is she expanded our readership in a way we couldn't collectively do together in a lot of ways or in a very significant way, right? And the thing is, 
I I think if you want to give Rupi Car the vitriol, you go back and you gave all the fucking writers we were forced to leave or read. Sorry, we were forced to read growing up. You go criticize their whack ass shit that you force teachers to teach your fucking kids. And then if we give those mediocre middle-aged white man writers the same kind of vitriol and critique and energy that we give someone like Rupi Carr, then I'm about it, right? But until like until that's equal, like, and also why hate on Rupi? What does that do for any of us? Yeah. We should be uplifting Rupi to help her reach more people because that's going to increase all of our readerships. Yeah. And then what happens? So the same people that clown on her are sharing their poems on Instagram. Come on now, you can't. You, you, you can't you, have you, it both ways. You, you, you gotta know. have some respect here, you know, or something, or some self-reflection, or mm -hmm. some idea outside of yourself. I think a lot of it is is jealousy and entitlement. I think a lot of it is maybe it's not the most mind-blowing stuff we've ever read, right? But poetry has an audience. You know what I mean? And one of the biggest things you can do as an artist is to understand your audience to be successful. And, and the way I look at it is uh, if I see a poet succeeding in a certain way, I kind of look at them. And I say, what makes them different? You know, why are we being or why are they more successful and how can we incorporate the tools that they've shown us into our own kit? to be able to replicate that stuff for ourselves and our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it goes back to that whole notion of like, just because someone else is succeeding doesn't mean that you're failing. It's not taking away. It's not like it's, it's a, it's a pie and there's only so much, you know? And, like, and I would argue this creating more opportunities for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also goes back to the accessibility thing, you know, because uh, her poetry was very accessible and a lot of you know, academics didn't like her either. And they kind of like put, her in the same category as a spoken word and slam poets. Mm -hmm. But you know, I heard of an interview once uh, on NPR with Kesha. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, she's a really, really intelligent uh, person. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, when they, when, you know, I think I got Scott Simon, I think asked her like, um, what do you say to the people that criticize your music because they say it's dumb. And she's like, it's pop music. It's not rocket science. <laughs> I don't have to be like, you know, at an elevated level. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that Ruby, I'm not trying to bring down Ruby Carr's like poetry and her level or whatever, but it was very popular, you know, very, very accessible or yeah, is, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Well, again, Safi, thank you so much for everything that you have shared with us and also for the communities that you have created or helped Foster, um, you get you got a lot of love in the comments. By the way, oh, that's uh, awesome! I'll have to go back and read out. those. I haven't books. looked at any yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you all so much for watching. Thank you all for your comments, Eddie and Chewy. Thank you all so <laughs> much for inviting me on here. Everyone who's watching right now, I want y'all to come back next week to catch the Kyla Janae Lacey. Whoa, whoa, Man, whoa, wait, wait, we're not, there yet. we're not there yet. Are we too early? It's too Are we early. Too early? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I We're premature. Wait. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but will you close us out with one poem? Oh, and that's then right, talk that's about right. Next week. <laughs> that's right, I will, I will. All right, y'all, let me, hold on. He's gotta find, he's gotta find it. Um, <laughs> Spoiler. This will be my last poem uh, this evening. This one uh, was inspired by Emma Gonzalez. 
and the, the Brave Students Fighting Gun Violence in America. It's entitled, You Cannot Dig Your Heels In Deeper Than a Child's Grave. Emma, as in, germ, as in the German word, Armin, meaning whole universe. Emma, as in novel written, showcasing a heroine no one is supposed to like. Emma, as in novel written, showcasing a heroine no one is supposed to like. Emma, as in Lazarus, as in inscribed in bronze, as in red brass, as in gunmetal. Lazarus, as in canonized, as in the resurrection of somebody's son. Gonzalez, as in the son of Gonzalo, as in the Spanish word meaning battle, as in the battle of Gonzalez, as in come and take it, and here she comes. You Colossus girl, all brown and buzz cut, the heroine they do not like, the universe their wall could not protect them from, both the canon and the thing and the taking. Thank y'all so much. Amir Safi. Thanks so, so much. Very nice, very nice. So Amir, why don't you tell us who we're having on our show next week? <laughs> next week, College Janae Lacey, don't miss it. Uh, you may have heard her poem, White Privilege. It's been shared by uh, Thomas J. Hilfiger, Missy Copeland, uh, Eva Marcel, uh, Mark Jacobs, Billy Porter, uh, if, if they think it's worth watching, maybe you should too. Uh, next week, right here on Words and Shit. <laughs> Thank you so much, Goodness Amir. Been a bit of myself. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. That was Amir Safi. And like he said, next week we are going to have Kyla Janae Lacey joining us. I'm so excited for that conversation. Uh, it's going to be a interesting. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what it's going to be. Like, I mean... You don't know what's coming out of that bag, you know? Yeah, but I'm I'm so looking forward to it. Follow us on the Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook. Follow us on Write Art Out on Instagram to get all the info about upcoming shows and initiatives. Uh, thank you again to Amir Safi. Thank you for everyone that joined us. That is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibordunia. And this has been Words. And shit. Until next time, stay safe. Night. <laughs>